Well, welcome to NETS 3. This is session 11. And tonight we're going to be speaking about the present ministry of Jesus Christ. Have you ever asked yourself, how is Jesus Christ ministering from his heavenly throne today? One of the major ways that he continues to minister today is to continue to pour out grace as we've looked at grace extensively in this series, and yet at the same time, it originates with God and now is distributed by our Lord Jesus Christ. You see in Acts chapter 15, when the uh, elders and the apostles came together to discuss the question of salvation for the Gentiles, in verse 11, they declared that it was through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we received salvation. There is saving grace. And it is distributed from his throne. There's other types or categories of grace. There's redeeming grace. There's empowering grace. There are ministry graces. There's exceeding grace. There's an administration of grace. There's an exhortation of grace. There's an establishing grace. And there's a common grace. And there's other areas or categories of grace that we could look into. But just so we understand that it's something that God gives to empower his presence, to bring His presence into this realm and to cause things to happen which are according to His will. We already know that when we walk in grace, then it makes it possible for things to happen through us or to us that are beyond our own abilities. Now one way, which we haven't looked at extensively, but we have looked at at times, but I want to take a a little bit of time now to look at it a little bit more extensively is in light of giving and receiving. And it's very important that we understand this. Now we've mentioned it before a number of times that the symbol of believerhood is communion and the symbol of discipleship is giving and receiving. And the symbol of stewardship is a drink offering. But someone that walks in obedience in light of giving is walking in the place of discipleship. That's the sign that we see. Now, everyone should give, but disciples do give. Not ever even being asked. Because they know that they have received and therefore they are giving back something in the places where they can. Now, in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 15, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippian church. And he said that when the gospel was first preached there, and then he moved on to Thessalonica, that that new church sent once and again to help him. And he says that no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. And in verse 17, he says, Not that I seek a gift, but I seek fruit that abounds to your account. You see, the sign of discipleship is fruit that may remain. And the apostle was saying to this church that the reason he desired them to be giving like they were is so that they could have fruit that would abound to their account. And if you'll look sometime, take the time and look at the word account throughout the New Testament, and even in the book of Philippians, you'll see that we each have a heavenly account just like a bank account. And we are storing up in that account things which will be there when we come up to that place, but also they, that is an account which we can make withdrawals from now. Supernatural withdrawals can be made from a supernatural account 
And the way it gets in there is by us being obedient in the natural things which the Lord has given us. And here's what he says. Verse 18, Indeed I have all and abound and am full, having received from Ephroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Because they were giving, that fulfilled His desire that they would make it possible to have fruit that would remain. And He said, you've placed yourself in a position now where God is able to make this happen. He is able to supply all your need. In John chapter 15, verse 16, the Lord said, we didn't choose Him, but He chose us. He says, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Now you see the apostles' heart towards the church of Philippi was that they would be raised up and to be disciples and that what they planted would also grow into a harvest. And he was saying that one way that that was going to happen was because they didn't stop the process after the planting of the seed, but that by their giving, they were making it possible for the blessings of God, the rain on the seed, so to speak, so that there would be a full harvest and there would be fruit that would remain. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning of verse 7, it says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. What is the purpose that we're giving for? Why do we give? Or why don't we give? He is saying, according as we purpose in our heart to give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful in the Greek is hilario, where we get our word hilarious from. God loves someone who gives hilariously. Someone who can give with the right heart, not grudgingly, not of necessity. Now, do we need to give? Of course. Do we need fruit that remains? Of course. Do we need to open up the floodgates of heaven? Of course. But we should give cheerfully, knowing that those things are going to happen, rather than give because we have to, knowing that we have to so those things will happen. It's just a difference of attitude in our heart. And he says, God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Whoa. So therefore, Jesus sitting on the throne now who wants to give grace, knowing that there are things we can do to receive grace. For instance, he gives grace to the humble. So therefore, if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, then he will give grace, right? So here it says that if we give with the right heart, He is able to make all grace abound towards us. Abounding grace. How about that? That we can have abounding grace because we gave with the right heart. And look what it says we can do. We can have all sufficiency in all things. Remember what it said in Philippians? Our God is able to supply all those things. And we have them so that we may have abundance for every good work. Grace empowers us so we can do the works of God on the earth. Our giving opens up those doors. It's one of the things that opens up those doors that brings grace to empower 
so that we can bring the kingdom of God upon the earth that His kingdom could be on earth as it is in heaven. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, the Lord Jesus gave this Orientalism. He says, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. We already understand that we have to understand the words in the Bible in light of to whom they were written, in light of the culture to whom they were written. And this is an Orientalism. When it talks about pressed down, shaken together and running over, shall men give to your bosom. It's talking about the women that would go into the marketplace with either a basket or or with an apron, and would get a certain amount of, let's say, flour or grain, and they would pay for a certain amount, for instance, one bushel full. But if the person wanted to really bless them, they would put it in and fill up that bushel, but then they would press it down, and then they would put more in, and they would press it down again, and then they would put more in, and they would shake it together. So that therefore, yes, it was one bushel, but it was pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That's the Orientalism. That's the picture. It wasn't by weight. It was by volume. <laughs> but it was pressed in, and it was shaken in, till there couldn't be any more, and still running over. There wasn't room enough to receive it. That's how he said we would receive. If we would use that measure. If we're stingy, then it's going to come back just trickling. If we have a poverty mindset, then we're going to just receive a trickle of blessings from God. But if when we receive, we give, then it opens up the floodgates of heaven. Because with the same measure that you use, will it be measured back to you. According as you purpose in your heart, give, not grudgingly of necessity, but God loves a cheerful giver. According as you purpose in your heart as a disciple and as a steward ought to be that I'm giving so I can be obedient, so I can receive grace. You give of what you have so that you can receive of what you need. You don't have everything you need. You don't even know everything that you're going to need. But our God is able to supply all things according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This doesn't have anything to do with the economy under which you're living. It has to do with God's economy. This doesn't have anything to do with the nation or the town in which you live. It has to do with, is Christ in you in that town or that nation? Now those things may affect the way in which God brings the blessings. However, it's still that God will bring the blessings through our Lord Jesus Christ as He releases the grace. And we have to understand that when we're not obeying His Word by giving the first fruits then we have closed ourselves off from the grace that we need in order to do supernatural empowerments, in order to do supernatural great acts and good works upon the earth. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, it says, Let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give who has a need. Even the whole attitude of work has changed when we become a disciple and we become a steward of the Lord Jesus Christ. In that now, we understand God is our sufficiency, so even our job is no longer our sufficiency. Now we are employed by the Lord, even though we have an employer, and we work for Him not as a man-pleaser, but we work for God. So therefore, we're going to do even better 
And we know God will supply all our need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And we work now so that we have to give. Isn't that interesting? Our whole attitude even towards work and earning a living has changed. Even that becomes part of the kingdom work that we're doing. And we know that we're working, so we have to give because this is part of what God's doing on the earth and it's going to open up windows in heaven and grace is going to come. And I will have fruit and it will remain. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says that we should seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to us. All the things that we need, God wants us to have but to seek first the kingdom of God. He doesn't say, seek only the kingdom of God. He doesn't say, don't go find a job. He doesn't say, be so spiritual that you can't do any work anymore. <laughs> he says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and these things will be added unto you. Matter of fact, it's in those opportunities where we're out there in the world that we do manifest the kingdom. Because that's where the grace is really apparent. There are basically are three categories of giving. There's tithes, there's offerings, and there's alms. Tithes basically are what go towards leadership and towards those who are above one in authority in the kingdom. Offerings are those things which are above the tithe. The tithe is a tenth. The tithe predates the law. So if anyone says, well, that was part of the law, it was not part of the law. It predates the Old Testament law. It just happens that the law gave distinct ways in which the tithe was to be distributed to take care of the Levites and the priests. But it predated that system. And it's part of God's rules and regulations that He set up in the beginning, and it's still the same today. We can learn from what they did under the law, but we don't have to do it exactly the same because we no longer have a Levitical priesthood that we need to support with tithes and offerings. But we still have leadership in the church that those tithes go to to help supply the Lord's storehouse. That there's abundance in His house so He may have people that are serving in the kingdom. Offerings are that which are over that 10% which are given for special opportunities or special places, special reasons. And alms are not only finances, but also good deeds, things which we do, especially towards those that are needy. In Luke chapter 7, you'll read the story about a certain centurion. And he was a devout man, and he was one that understood authority. But he had a servant who was very close to him who became very sick. And he heard about Jesus. So he sent elders that were Jews to Jesus. He understood, even though he was a Gentile, he went through the system that Jesus was a part of. And he sent elders to Jesus and said, would you please pray for my servant? Because there's no hope for him otherwise. So when Jesus began to come, in verse 7 it says, Therefore I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. He said, look, I'm not even worthy to come to you. That's why I sent someone. But I know you have authority. Would you just tell the sickness to leave? Here's what he said in verse 8. 
For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. He's saying to Jesus. He didn't say to Jesus, I am a man under authority. He said to Jesus, I also am a man under authority. He was saying to the Son of God that I notice that you're under authority. Now you would think that Jesus was under authority, but he was. And it was obvious to this centurion that Jesus was under authority and that's why he could walk in authority. Jesus was under authority and that's why he had grace to give. One of the things I think we need to understand in light of giving is that when we're under authority, it becomes more clear where the giving should go. And it makes it very simple in the New Testament. We don't have to go through all these little questions and doubts about how they did it in the Old Testament. It's very simple. If you're rebellious, you'll argue with giving because you're already arguing with authority. And if you're submitted to authority, you have blessings, and the blessings of God come, and it's very obvious where to give, just like it was obvious to this Gentile. And look what Jesus said about him. Verse 9, And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and he turned around and said to the crowd, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And today, Jesus could probably say, I haven't found this great a faith in most churches. He understood it. And it's the same today. If we'll do what's right, we're going to receive the blessings. We give of what we have to receive of what we need. Sometimes what we need cannot be bought. Most of the time. <laughs> in Luke chapter 16, verse 10 and 11, it says, He who is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in that which is much. And he who is unjust in that which is least is unjust also in that which is much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? He was speaking this to disciples. Do you want to move into your ministry? Do you want to move into the things that God has promised for you? If you can't be faithful in that which is least, how can He give you that which is most? And look what He says in the next verse. That which is least is money. And we've already discussed it that Jesus spent more time speaking about money than he did about prayer because he understood some things that needed to happen so we could release the power of God so that our prayers would be answered. He wants our prayers to be answered. He taught so many parables about praying always so, until you saw the answers. But he also wanted them to be answered so he gave us some of the keys that would release God into our life. In Malachi chapter 3, the whole section of Malachi is speaking about the people who were not following the precepts that God had given them. And beginning in chapter 2, he begins to speak to the priests and to the leaders, saying, you are not doing what you should do, and you're not speaking to the people, and you're not teaching them what to do that's right. And in chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, he says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And he says, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes to the storehouse, that there might be food in my house. And try me, or test me, now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I'll not open you up the windows of heaven, and pour out for you a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. 
and I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. God is interested in us having fruit that remains. That's why he doesn't want us to be robbing from him. The fruit that remains is so much greater than the little things that we keep back. He says, I'll rebuke the devourer. Now, we know the devourer is the devil, but that's a particular name. It's a descriptive name. Look in Haggai chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. I think it gives a good description of this attribute of the enemy. When the devil is acting as the devourer, I think this is what we see. Now, therefore... Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord, consider your ways. Hey, if things are not going like we think they ought to, we should consider our ways. He will rebuke the devourer for us if we'll obey Him. In all the years that I have walked the Christian walk, when I have seen people who consistently were tithing, I have never seen them go through a time that God didn't pull them through. Even though they might go through times that were tough, but they always came through them. There was never a mountain that they couldn't get over. And yet I've seen people with much who didn't give to God, and mountains came before them they could not buy their way out of. By not giving God the first fruits, we place ourselves in a position that opens up doors to the enemy. By giving God the first fruits, we open up doors that give God the opportunity to bring blessings that there's not room enough to receive. So we can make the choice for ourselves. As disciples, we already know the answer. As stewards, we do it without even thinking about it, and we go past that point of actually being an example to others and sharing it with others so that others may prosper, so that others are walking in the grace and the glory. Because as stewards, we are over His household, and we ought to be blessing all of His people and not holding back these blessings, but also sharing them with them. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, 17 and 18, it says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and in doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox who treads out the grain, and the labor is worthy of his wages. In 1 Corinthians 9, 9, he explains it more by saying, is it oxen that God is concerned about? You know the answer to that. That is a parable that he's given, an analogy saying that, look, if God cares about oxen enough to put it in the law, not to muzzle the ox that are doing the work, then what about the labors that labor in his church, that labor for his people? Amen? That's what the apostle was trying to teach them. Now let's look a little bit at the priesthood of Jesus Christ because he is our high priest, we know. And as he's seated at the right hand of God now, he is our high priest. He takes the place of the whole line of Aaron and the whole Levitical priesthood. In Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 9, it says, Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now, we understand Melchizedek was the king of Salem, the king of peace. We know Jesus is the prince of peace. But at the time when Abraham took his 318 trained household servants, and they went out after the kings who had plundered 
the cities, including where Lot and his family lived. He went out and he, just with those trained servants, captured those kings and everything they had. And when those kings said, you take all the goods, just give us the people, Abraham turned them down. He said, no, I don't want to take it because I don't want anyone to say that I received my blessings from some ungodly place, but I want people to know that my blessings came from God. And he went and he paid tithes to the king of Salem, to the king of peace, who's Melchizedek. And you can read about this guy. Uh, We're just going to look a little bit at it because this is the priesthood our Lord walks in. The Melchizedek priesthood. Verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest, who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testified, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Verse 25, But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavenlies, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's, for he did once and for all when he offered up himself. Unlike that other priesthood, he didn't have to go in and cleanse himself and then offer up a sacrifice for his own sins, so then he was actually in a place where he could be a mediator for the other people's sins, but rather he was a lamb, without spot or blemish. He was the one that was sacrificed for our sins. He was offered up once. That was enough. No longer is there a sacrifice for sin. Besides that, we can come to Him boldly, and He is the one that makes intercession. In the Old Testament, the Levitical priesthood made the intercession for the people. Now, it's Jesus Christ who makes the intercession for the people from a different priesthood as the Prince of Peace. In chapter 4, verse 14, Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Now I want you to understand, if we stop at the cross, we're never going to get to this understanding. Jesus had to die, but He rose from the dead. And it's the resurrection that all history revolves around. And when he ascended up on high, he entered into a great priesthood through which he still is ministering to us today. It did not end at the cross, but a new covenant began then. A covenant which we are to begin to walk in today in greater authority than you might imagine. Jesus is our high priest. And it is an active role that he takes today towards all of us. Verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Who gives grace? Jesus Christ gives us grace. Can you come boldly? 
unless you have done the things that He has asked you to do, we can come boldly when we know we've done what we could do. When we have loved Him because we have shown it by keeping His commandments. We come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy to find grace to help in time of need. The mercy covers the things where we have had shortcomings, but the grace takes us higher. It's the ladder which helps us reach to places which we could not reach without His assistance, without His help. The grace helps us go beyond what we could with our own efforts and abilities. It's because He's the high priest that He sits where He can give us that grace. It's because He understands our weaknesses that He's willing to give us the mercy. We come boldly to the throne. The throne is called grace. But we must receive the mercy first in order to obtain the grace. But we don't want to stop at the mercy. We don't want to stop just saying, yes, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and thanks for forgiving me. We want to go beyond that and say, because you're a high priest, that I can walk in authority now that I could not have on my own. There's an authority and a grace that's to me, which is not through any lineage, which is not through any priesthood upon this earth, which is not through any... uh, earthly lineage whatsoever, but comes from heaven in the name of the Lord Jesus. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. We're going to understand that priests are meant to give not only sacrifices, but also gifts. And the Lord is still giving those gifts today, even as we make sacrifices for Him. First and foremost, we are living sacrifices. We are called to be living sacrifices, living our lives as examples upon this earth for the Lord Jesus Christ. But also, we're going to see that He distributes gifts still as part of His ministry, which is extremely important to the life that we live now and to understanding how to release more of His glory and to extend His kingdom in the earth. It's an attribute of the high priest. Now in Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. We have to come through the Levitical priesthood. Who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. That pattern, which was built by the hands of men, but it was built according to the pattern. It was a type and a shadow, which we've looked at in the past. It was a type and a shadow of the heavenly things which we now have available to us. But what we have now is greater. And the former was only there so we could see and we could understand. But what we have now is greater. And it wasn't even available then, but now it is. Verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. Amen? And also better sacrifices because Jesus is 
life was without spot, without blemish. Let's continue in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, sat down at the side of the authority of the God of all the heavens. And from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Remember, we looked into that in light of God's eternal purpose, that there's a time when all the enemies will be under his feet, when everything will be complete, and the Lord will give back the kingdom to his Father. It will be his crown laying at the feet of the Father, even as we are going to lay our crowns at the feet of our Lord. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. His offering of his life was the only one that was needed. Up until that time, there were tens of thousands each year that had to be given just to buy some time. And it was all a symbol and all a type. But when that day came, when the Lamb of God laid down His life willingly and gave up the ghost, then that was the one sacrifice for all time. And everyone who is being sanctified is being sanctified because of that perfect sacrifice. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after He had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put My laws into their hearts and in their minds, and I will write them. When those words were written, it was a prophecy of the day when He would raise up from the dead and He would begin to put the Spirit not among us, but within us. And He would begin to write the laws in our heart not on tablets of stone, but on the fleshly tables of our heart. And now, when we get born again, that's in our heart. And we then, by the saving of our soul, as we transfer the authority of the Spirit within us, we receive blessings of God to release through our own lives, first and foremost, but then to others. In the old tabernacle and in the old temple, there was a veil between the holiest of holies. But that veil was rent on the day that our Lord died. And now, through His Spirit, that veil is gone. We no longer have to see through that veil, but we can see Him face to face. We have access by His Spirit and through His grace. Where do we fit in this priesthood? Well, I'm going to say that I believe that all believers, all sons of God today, are prophets, priests, and kings. I want to explain that to you. That's in a general sense, and we're going to look at this. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to Him who loved us and washed from us our sins in His own blood, and has made us kings and priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 10. And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
See, priests offer sacrifices. If they're not acceptable, the priests can get in trouble. If you look in the Old Testament, when they brought profane fire, they brought an unclean sacrifice, it did not bring the blessings. Malachi, if you'll read that, they were bringing the halt and the lame and the blind. They weren't bringing the bad. So therefore, the windows of heaven were closed, not open. Because they were not bringing what God would receive. But we are meant to bring spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God. In Exodus chapter 28, verse 12, it's talking about Aaron. And when he was set in as the high priest, and they set him up with the priestly garments, and they put the ephod upon him with the various stones. And each one of those stones represented one tribe of the people of God. And it says in verse 12, And you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as a memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. When Aaron would go into the presence of God, he would carry this, the stones upon his shoulders, representing authority and representing government, that he would take the names of the children of Israel into the presence of God as an intercessor so that he would be carrying them before God and their sins could be forgiven. That he was carrying in intercession the names of the people. We today are in that place. This is one of the reasons for the Reformation. The priesthood of all believers. That we don't have to go through an earthly priest, but we go through the Lord Jesus Christ and each of us carries the names of other folks on our shoulders in a figurative sense when we go before Him in intercession praying for forgiveness and grace healing or whatever it may be, we are as the priest going with their name upon our shoulders into our God. And therefore blessings are given. That's one of our priestly duties. Every one of us has a call to intercede. Now there may be some that have a special gift in certain areas that is useful in intercession. But every one of us as a Christian is called to a priestly duty of intercession. Every Christian has the ability and the call to take others into the Lord on their shoulders and ask for grace. The holy priesthood speaks to God on behalf of others and carries the people by name on their shoulders. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. One translation says a peculiar people that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. If you look at the context of that in verse 12, you'll see that He's talking about among the people. As a holy priest, we enter into God with the names of the people upon our shoulders. But as a royal priest, we go before the people and bring the name of our God before them. So as a holy priest, we can go before God in intercession for people. And as a royal priest, we are as a king upon the earth going before the people with the name of our God as a witness of Him upon this earth. That is not a special calling of one type of ministry, but that is a calling to every Christian as a minister. A royal priesthood speaks to others on behalf of God. Then there's the prophecy. 
Because I say we're prophets, priests, and kings. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 31, it says, For you all can prophesy, one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets, meaning those that are prophesying, are subject to the prophets. And the context of that is, you can see in 1 Corinthians 13, 2, Though I have the gift of prophecy. So it's not talking about a five-fold ministry. It's not talking about a prophet that is in the sense of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. It's talking about one that prophesies. Someone that has the Holy Spirit gift of prophecy. Just like the Holy Spirit gift of tongues or the Holy Spirit gift of faith. It's not talking about a gift ministry, but it's talking about an empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So in that sense, we're all prophets in a broad sense that we may prophesy. Does it say all do prophesy? No, not any more than everyone is a witness for the Lord. Not any more than everyone is an intercessor for the people. But every one of us should be an intercessor for the people. Every one of us should be a witness for the Lord. And every one of us should prophesy in the earth. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 29, when Moses had laid his hands on the 70 elders, and God poured out his spirit on those 70. But then there were two in the camp that prophesied. And the young men came in and said, Moses, tell them to stop. And here's what he said. And Moses said to them, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. That word for prophets is the word nabi. Now in the Old Testament, everyone that had the spirit upon them that prophesied was called a prophet. There's different kinds and categories. There's at least three categories of prophets. But the broadest one in the Old Testament was the one called a nabi prophet. And that is one not necessarily that sees visions, not necessarily that sees dreams, not necessarily that had an authority to raise up others, but it was one that just could speak by inspiration. We may take that for granted in this day and time because we have the Spirit within us. We have His law upon our hearts. We would not take it for granted if we were before the time of the crucifixion because before that time, anyone who had the Spirit that could speak by inspiration would have been called at least a nabby prophet. And when he said, I would to God that all God's people were nabby prophets, he said, I would to God that all God's people could prophesy by inspiration. He was pointing to a day without probably even knowing it when everyone could have the gift of Holy Spirit and bring a prophetic word of edification, exhortation, and comfort. Every Christian has that potential. And that puts them in the category in the broader sense of prophets, of priests, and of kings. Now, not later. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 29. The apostle said, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? And the answer to that is no. So no, we're not all the gift ministry of a prophet. We're not all the gift ministry of a teacher. But we all have the spirit of prophecy. We all have the spirit of intercession. We all have the spirit of a, a, a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a special people, a peculiar people of prophets, priests, and kings. Now I want to look at Jesus Christ in light of He is the King. And He is the ruler of God's government, both in heaven and the kingdom on earth. And in chapter 9 of Isaiah, in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, 
and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Now you notice, when Jesus was upon earth, he ordained apostles. He ordained twelve. One went and hanged himself before the day of Pentecost. And so between the Lord's ascension and the day of Pentecost, the eleven chose from among their ranks someone that had been there and had witnessed Jesus from the time of his baptism all the way to his ascension, and they chose another to take the place of Judas. So you had 12 apostles of the Lamb. Those 12 are going to sit on thrones representing and ruling over the different 12 tribes of Israel. There will never be another apostle of the Lamb. There's 12, that's all there is. Now some people think that those were the only apostles and there were no more. However, there was the Apostle Paul, there was Barnabas, there was Timothy, there was Titus, there were at least 25 other apostles mentioned in Scripture. Even Junius is mentioned as an apostle. But there's only 12 apostles of the Lamb. However, those 12 apostles called the apostles of the Lamb were ordained before he sat down at the right hand of God and on the day of Pentecost began to give gifts to men. We're going to look at that more extensively shortly. But if he had given those 12 and then gone up and sat down at the right hand of God and then never had any other governing ministries in his church, then Isaiah would not have been true. Because it says, of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. It doesn't say it'll go until he ascends and sits at the right hand of God and then he doesn't need people on the earth anymore. Then once he sits down at the right hand of God, he doesn't need to give gift ministries anymore. Once he sits down at the right hand of God, he no longer has need of being represented upon the earth through ministries because that would be an end to his government. And Isaiah says of the increase, it doesn't just say of the government there will be no end, but of the increase of his government. There will be no end. There will be continually an increase. That's why, if we look in the New Testament, there are actually more apostles named than 12 after the ascension than there were of the 12 before the ascension. Now, again, I say those 12 were special, are special, have a special place in heaven. But it was begun with them, but it has increased since then. Jesus is the king and he governs. Even in our nation, all people are part of the government. But not all people govern. In God's kingdom, all of his people are meant to rule and be a part of his government. But not all govern. When we extend his kingdom in the earth, we are extending his government in the earth. And therefore, we are proving that we are part of his government. But there are those that he has called specifically to govern in that kingdom, even upon earth. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, We were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. We need to understand 
The power of the resurrection is what is preached when there's power and glory and grace released to the earth. It was the power of the resurrection that the apostles walked in. There was great grace as they witnessed the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to understand that it's because we are a resurrected people with a resurrected spirit that we can now upon the earth be prophets, priests, and kings representing our Lord to the earth and representing the people to our Lord. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh has made alive together with Him having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to His cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He has already disarmed them. He has already triumphed over them. And He has already shown it forth in the heavenly realm. But He has called us as a peculiar people, as a special people with spiritual empowerments to go out and to show forth that manifold wisdom. To show forth as the church the manifold wisdom of God unto principalities and powers to show forth what He has accomplished. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, was this grace given. What grace was he speaking about? He was speaking about his ministry of an apostle. was a grace that was given to him. That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which is from the beginning of the ages and has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have to understand that not one of us, but all of us are showing forth God's wisdom as we walk in obedience to Him and manifest His grace. That not only is He the priest, but He's the King. Not only does He make intercession as we bring those names to Him, but He also rules from that throne room and He rules through us. Even as the intercession comes to Him and is released through Him, even so His rulership is, comes down from Him and is released through us. In verse 20 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As we've looked at that before, that there are certain ministries that are sent as ambassadors, representing the kingdom upon earth. And then those ministries are supposed to call us to be ambassadors also, to, to where we would be able to represent that every person in the kingdom could potentially represent the king upon earth. Do all of the people of God represent the king as an ambassador? Do all of them have a standard that's high enough that they appear as an ambassador to the people of this earth? No. But is it possible? Is it potentially there? Yes, it is. And he has set gifts in the church that are called to bring us to a place where we could be examples to this world and we could be a witness of our God and King. Chapter 4 of Ephesians. In verse 8, Therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. 
What is it that a priest does? Sacrifices and gifts. As priest, he makes sacrifices of intercession. And as priest and king, he gave gifts unto men. What are these gifts? Verse 11, And he gave some to be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. That word pastors is the word shepherds. So he gave some to be. He didn't give one person the gift of apostle and another person the gift of prophet and another person the gift of shepherd. I don't have a gift of this and you don't have a gift of that. Not when it comes to these gifts. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yes, you might have the gift of tongues. You might have the gift of prophecy. But when it comes to these five ascension gifts, he gave the gifts unto men. He gave some to be. These gifts are not something you have. These gifts are something you are. So if there's a calling upon your life as an apostle, then He has given your life to the people as an apostle. If there's a calling on your life as a shepherd, then He has given your life to the people as a shepherd. If there's a calling on your life to be a teacher, you are called to be a teacher to the people of God. Your life is a gift as a teacher to the people of God. If you're called as an evangelist, He has given your life as a gift of an evangelist to the people. You are the gift. The person is the gift. Obviously, they must have the empowerment. And they must grow in it. They must walk in it. But the life is the gift. And there's a purpose. They were given for the equipping or the perfecting of the saints for the work of ministry. That the people would be raised up and perfected and equipped to do the work of the prophet, the priest, and the king. That the people of God would be equipped to accomplish what they have the calling and the abilities to do. For the edifying of the body of Christ. And here's how long the Lord said we would have these ministries functioning. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now have we reached that yet? I should say not. So not only have we heard that of the increase of His government there will be no end, but also we read here that we're going to have all these ministries until we come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God into a perfect man. So therefore, just by that description, we know that these gifts which were given to perfect us must still be functioning because we have not been perfected to that point yet. It's still a process that we're in. And until that day comes to pass, we're going to have these gifts functioning and equipping and perfecting. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. By speaking the truth in love. This is the sign of a mature church. When the people are all speaking not only the truth, but speaking in love. When we speak the truth, and it's in love, we have become a mature church. If we're not speaking the truth, or we're speaking it and it's not in love, we are not matured as a church. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working 
by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for its, the edifying of itself in love. One thing we've learned through history is that the most effective means of evangelism is an excited and empowered church. We need to understand that the Lord is still reigning to this day. And even though He's at the right hand of God, that He is present with us, both ruling and reigning and interceding, He is there giving grace to us, and we are participating in this process with Him. The things that we do as disciples and as stewards allow Him to be present in this earth. He desires that we would come to Him in intercession that He might give mercy to those that need it. And He desires that we would be a witness for Him so that we could walk as kings in the earth, reigning and ruling and exercising His power and His authority in this earth. These are the things that God has given those gifts for to raise us all up as a chosen people, as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation that could go out in grace and empowerment and in love, bringing His glory and His grace to the people. Amen.